The thoughts, opinions, and general overall shades thrown on High at Nine News are those of the individual speakers and not those of High at Nine News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Oh, yes. Good morning, everybody. Happy, happy Monday. That's right. It's Monday, the most important day of the week, and everyone has a federal holiday today. And it's Monday, September 4th, and today is Labor Day. So shout out to all those moms giving labor today. It's also National Newspaper Carrier Day. What's that, Rico? Shout out to the moms giving labor today. Yeah, shout out to the moms giving labor today. That's right. Labor Day you're, you're talking about today? I mean, you know, you know. It's also National Wildlife Day. National Macadamia Nut Day. And you ready for this, Rico? This is your favorite right here. National Spice Blend Day. And I wonder if they're talking about K2 when they when they mention this spice. What do you think, Rico? I think they're talking about Delta 8. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. Use that fancy little QR code. Right there in the top-hand corner of your screen to see where we live on the Internet. And we are live every Monday through Friday on YouTube. And uh, eventually we'll be audio only somewhere else. But today is not that day. Today is Labor Day. That's right. It's a white party day. Labor Day. Yeah, yeah look at that. Look at that. Everybody styling and profiling. We're going to start it off first with the dope dad himself. That's right. It's Rico Lamite. The professional backstroker, the professional backpedaler, and the f- professional finagler. That's right, is none other than the Mr. Rico Lamit. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. Um, happy Labor Day, everybody. As you see, we're wearing uh, our, our white get-ups today because um, they say you're not supposed to wear white after Labor Day, but... I don't follow rules, no ways. But um, let's talk about Labor Day. Observe the first Monday in September. Labor Day is an annual celebration of the socioeconomic achievements of the American workers. The holiday is rooted in late 19th century when labor activists pushed for a federal holiday to recognize the many contributions workers have made to America's strength, prosperity, and well-being. In honor of this year's celebration, I'm tapping into Green Street, uh, Green State's Carol Wheatstock's piece all about the growing labor uh, movement in today's cannabis industry. The real movement's been powered by, so far, uh, the International Brotherhood of Teamsters and the United Food and Commercial Workers, 
uh, more commonly known as Teamsters and the UFCW. Cannabis employees nationwide have been establishing protections by working with union representatives. For the article, negotiations have gotten employees, employees higher pay, set workplace safety requirements, uh, established seniority amongst other worker benefits. Teamsters Western Regional International Vice President Peter Finn shared in an email with Green State that the Teamsters launched a national campaign to organize the cannabis industry uh, over a little over two years ago. Since then, they've successfully organized more than 1,000 members and won contracts that address the most important issues to workers in this craft. Issues like job security, annual raises, guaranteed tips, and discounts enhanced occupational safety, uh, respect in the workplace, and a voice on the job, end quote. Uh, union simple messaging and proven track record of getting their members basic protections are necessary for accessing happiness on the job, and that has caught fire within no, uh, with no signs of slowing down uh, in the cannabis industry. UFCW from Rhode Island to Las Vegas. Rise Dispensary-owned Chicago-based Green Thumb Industries workers in Warwick, Rhode Island, voted 50-6 to six, uh, to join UFCW Local Union 328 in July, with workers seeing higher pay, better benefits, and workplace protections. Rise Chicago's Illinois uh, uh, locations have been in tense negotiations with Teamster 777 in Chicago for months. Recently, Las Vegas MedMen employees also voted to join UFCW Local 711, uh, according to a press release from the organization. Teamsters 777 take, took on the Midwest less than uh, a month after reaching tentative agreement with two Zenleaf dispensaries, employees of the Verano uh, subsidiary uh, are celebrating a ratified contract that includes 17 to 20% pay, uh, pay increase over the following three years. Not bad at all. Uh, dispensary employees will also get paid time off, employer-funded retirement contributions, seniority-based overtime, and a fair disciplinary process uh, rather than at-will employment. But it all hasn't been positive. As we've been covering over the last few weeks, the fake union efforts are out here in California going strong. But the Teamsters and UFCW have persisted, continuing to tally victories in the Golden State despite at least 10 alleged fake company unions attempting to divert their efforts. Whether you like them or not, it seems that, at least for now, the unions and cannabis are here to stay. But I'm interested in hearing what my colleagues have to say and what your take is on the Teamsters and UFCW. Are they a force for good? or just another distraction on the road to big pharma, big box MSO, and government-led legalization. I'm Rico Lamite, dopest dad on the street. Happy Labor Day. What you got, Jason? Well, Rico, you know, I'm not Mr. a big, you know, I'm not a big fan of unions. And I think that, you know, these unions aren't doing enough for their workers. That's for sure. They're all they're doing is just taking their paychecks and squandering their funds on illicit politicians. Yeah. See, so yeah. that's a pretty broad blanket statement. You know, you have any, uh, <laughs> you, yeah. you have any specifics to talk about there? I have tons of tons of specifics. I mean, I don't think you want to go into the weeds on all of that, Rico. It's only an hour show, and you know, you're one of six six <laughs> stories for us today. Give us a couple examples. Yeah. <laughs> give, me a, give me a snippet. Give you for fodder here. Give you Let's a snippet. Jack Nicholson on you. You can't handle the truth. Exactly. Son. Exactly. Yaro. Exactly. You can't handle the truth. If I told you what was going on, you'd be like, oh, my God, my head is exploding. <laughs> Listen, I'll, I'll jump out there with you, Rico. And I'm just going to say. I do not support the obsolete union system that has okay. infected the cannabis industry. Um, and I'll say, and I'll say this, like there are good things, right? Like 
the 17 percent that ver uh, the veranda workers got on their increase over the past the next three years i think that's super awesome however i am a strong supporter of the free market system so if your company isn't paying a worker or if the conditions in that job aren't good right you're not going to stay working there you're going to go to another company that pays mm -hmm. better and has better working conditions so right. if you allow that system to work right you don't need the unions to come in this isn't like the 1800s where we have like 10 year olds like crawling through machines to get like clogged uh machinery out or something like that and lose we should hands and stuff we like should that. though like where they're working 17 hour days and if you don't work 17 back, hour bro. days you get fired like that those times aren't around anymore unions in certain places and in certain industries are effective but however in the cannabis industry where it's still like kind of at its infancy i would say for lack of better words the workers aren't making enough to be able to take a percentage of your wage and really not get anything for it. Mm -hmm. Let's let's be real here. The, the the worker, the average cannabis worker in California anyway, that pays a union, sees zero results from that from that membership fee. Big fat zero. Big big That's fat zero. Goose idea. eggs. Goose eggs. I'm yeah, with you, Luke. On the other side of the uh, the argument. What what what's the other side of the argument, Rico? Fake the news. The argument is is that the worker compensation since the 1890s hasn't risen proportionally to the wealth created by the ownership class and the unions are a byproduct of workers not getting paid enough and organizing to have collective bargaining power and so anybody i know who's in a union likes that health insurance anybody i know who's in a union is willing to complain about them but also sees them as uh, a symptom not a cause uh, and that sometimes it's a net positive to have them. Now, I'm just going to say full disclosure, both my parents were shop stewards for their respective unions. So while those unions can't be contrasted with the unions that are currently participating in the nascent regulated cannabis space, I can say that last I checked, bud tenders don't get a living sustainable wage in the Bay Area and some of the other line staff and entry level workers and that unions have yet to provide substantial tangible benefit but a we have a very small part of the industry that's unionized and b that is mostly focused on retail and not the agrarian portion of the supply chain so mm. if unions can be a net positive and that's a big if that would be great i think the reason why this industry is chafed at the idea of paying anybody for anything that we can't immediately measure an roi on is because we've been taxed from left, right, and center, right? And so if the unions could come in and exercise their considerable political uh, negotiating power to lower taxes on the <coughs> cannabis industry, then people would be like, hey, it's all good. There's that $17 monthly fee. I don't care. You mm -hmm. have to get a lower taxes. So I think the problem with the unions is they want to come in and play, but they haven't demonstrated their benefit to the industry prior to asking for and putting their hand out. And so I think that becomes just a, you know, the chicken before the egg, which comes first, whatever. Like if the unions came in and provided that benefit and then asked for membership participation or whatever the legal process is by which, you know, companies and teams unionize, that'd be one thing. Instead, they're coming in, they're like, well, there's a cost. And yes, hopefully there'll be a benefit. And I think this industry is just tired of paying for anything where there's hopefully a benefit. I, I would agree with a lot of what you said, actually, Yarrow. Amazingly enough. 
I think I think yeah I think I think I think you're a lot of very very much right on with that I mean I, I would respect in cannabis companies if they just organized their employees and their employees organized and just communicated with their bosses and like hey this is what we need guys and I think they could get a whole lot farther than using these antiquated union reps to be their delegates but you know what Jason a lot of times they do that and they end up getting fired then, they then they should. Then they, of, then, then they, they should. Then they should. Locked out of raises, and then you, and then you have lawsuits after the fact with people saying they got screwed. Let me over t- do you know how hard it is to find good help nowadays? In all honesty, Rico, as an employer, do you know how hard it is to find good help? How about the flip side of that? You know how hard it is to Looking find a like good a job. Like a Carnegie. You, you know what I'm saying? It's like, true. how about the flip side? Like, the unions is supposed to be that equalizer, right? No, they're not. So, like, no, they're not. They're, I don't. I don't. I don't buy that. To find a good job that actually I do not pays buy that well, they are an equalizer. They ain't gonna screw you over. No, that there isn't a bunch Mm-mm. of good old boys. Jobs are jobs, bro. Jobs are jobs. You, you take the job or you don't that. take the job. Pretty simple. You know. You know how hard it is. How come restaurants? How come restaurants don't have a union for all their waitresses and hostesses? I think they do. I think they do. But every union sounds the same to me. It's blah, blah, blah. Exactly. Seven different numbers. It's exactly. four letters and then seven numbers. It's almost like the tail on an airplane. You it know, is. Five, six, seven, like you can't, you can't tell them apart unless mm-hmm. you're in that. But, I mean, look, we're talking about line staff in society, whether we're talking about the person who changes the bed sheets at the hotel room or the person who hands you your cartridge when you're on vacation in the town or the person who opens a hotel room door. Less than 10 or, less than 10 percent. Service workers, right? Yeah, and less so, than 10 percent of Americans are unionized. And that number has gone down over the last 30 or 40 years. Well, so you're basically telling me that all the unions basically only reside in, 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 in major cities if it's only 10% of the workforce is unionized. No, what we're saying is that unions have been designed and continue to be ways in which lower-level or mid-level workers create yeah. collective bargaining power so that they can get better benefits and wages. And last we checked, benefits and wages – for the lower working class and the middle working class are not at historic highs. Sounds like you guys are stigmatizing these workers. But see, this is what? this is the problem with the <laughs> union. Like, those are just numbers, Jason. <laughs> How are we stigmatizing anybody? Yep. Mm-hmm. It's messed up, <laughs> the, you guys. The, the problem with those the the numbers is that like and and I agree with a lot of what Yaro said too. But the problem with the numbers is that we're not seeing an ROI for what for what these membership fees are, what you're seeing most of the time with unions, right? And this is why a lot of people have been going away from unions is because unions are now just becoming political wings. And now you're paying a membership for somebody to tell you like how to vote is usually mm-hmm. what the unions like amount yep. to nowadays. That is true. There's, there's not like a really like a strong fight for fair wages or something. There's like a standard typical inflation raises built into negotiating contracts and bargaining contracts there's not like people like going in and getting these like crazy wages you know increases for you and stuff like that if there was that case and like i said in the cannabis industry if there was that if we were seeing a return if we were seeing those things that that yaro was talking about and you're getting the return on it i would support that but what we're what we're seeing right now is them to just take money out of the people's pockets that are at the uh, entry level and mid-level jobs where they really need it and really not seeing anything in return for it. That's why I really so, don't support it. I think so, the, and, and, so I agree with you right there. Uh, Luke. Oh, look so at that. So in the that. case look of that. California, the, 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 the 10 fake unions, the quote unquote company unions, and some of them 
uh, have characteristics of actually being made up by the actual company who's there. Um, so in that case, how do you not force these motherfuckers to join a union at, the, at that point? Like, like, you have no protection against your company at all to the point where they're they're making up fake unions or they're joining up with known fake unions to stomp out your any attempt that you might have uh, to have any kind of equity with the company, to have any kind of voice with the company. Like, what do you say about situations like that where you actively in California seeing this against the little guy? Um, I mean, if I don't, if I don't support unions in this, in this instance, in the cannabis industry, I really don't support fake unions in the cannabis industry. So, I mean, yeah, like, listen, that's crazy. Right. But this is, this is where I was talking about where, and this may sound a little callous, but this is where the free market corrects these things. You know what I'm saying? The free market, if your company is doing shady stuff, if your company isn't paying you enough, if your company is doing these things. Those companies aren't going to attract workers. They're not going to attract workers. They're not going to be sustainable. The free market will weed them out. That's 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 how so it works. The free market is this ivory tower, right? Free and market is amazing. The difference is like applied economics versus economics, right? And so I would argue that we may have never had a free market. We've had a market that prioritizes and enriches those that already have riches. We've had a free market that doesn't play fair for women or minorities. We've had a free market where it takes money to make money or where there's no bid contracts. And so we've had a free market that allows Apple to have tax benefits by offshoring in Ireland, but doesn't allow a cannabis company. So I would just offer that what you're saying about a free market makes sense for a free market, but I'm not entirely sure that the United States has ever really been a free market. And it's getting freer and moving probably in the right direction. But as long as there is these dual tiers to opportunity, and I don't just mean around race and economic opportunity. I mean, why do billionaires get to sit with their hedge fund managers and craft policy and then go pay politicians to be able to create rules that benefit them and not the working class, right? So we have to recognize that there is a free market theory, but in practice, it typically is far less equitable and not exactly as pure. We had a free market prior to Prop 64. The reason, the reason, Yaro, that the free market uh, was having issues in those instances that you gave examples of is because you had government regulation. The reason that Apple gets a better tax break over in Ireland is because the government regulates and overtaxes here, here in, in the U.S. If you didn't have that, if you had a true free market without the interference from these governments and these regulate or and these regulators, you would have you would see it work better. Now, I understand, like, it's not a perfect system that we have here. Absolutely not a perfect system. And it does create inequities. But it is the best system that we have available to us right now. And I'm, I, I don't see a better one out there in the world. If you do, I'd love to look at it. I think I think the, the better one that is out there is um, it's there, already probably. There, there, there is no better out it's there rico that's everyone always looks to think that the grass is greener on the other side but the grass is greener right underneath your feet rico 
No, the grass isn't greener on the other side. The trichomes aren't cloudier on the other side of the flower. I get that. The Pinot market is the Pinot market. The free in name. Having the best system doesn't mean (laughs) that the most patriotic thing we can do as Americans is continue to edge that best system towards being a better system, right? And so the most patriotic thing we can do in this country is dissent, right? That's the freedom we have. The freedom to say, hey, this is good, but let's make it better. Or what would tomorrow look like if we continue to level up that we already agree are probably better than right? Yeah, incrementalism. I, I'm I'm gonna get all teary because it's a holiday at Memorial Day, but like that's what makes it's it Labor great, Day right? is the ability to criticize, prove upon it. It's it's Labor Day, Yarrow, not Memorial Day. It's Labor Day. Too confused. I'm a little dyslexic when it comes to it's, holidays. It's all good. It's all good. On Christmas. Once, one, one's, it, one's at it, the beginning it, of it, summer. It, one's at the end of summer. Now. Jason's going to his his labor, his Teamsters. <laughs> I, I'm <laughs> telling you that not, this is this is this is no this is Mother's Day 2.0. I'm trying to tell you, Labor Day is for the moms. Okay, it's for all the moms that gave labor. Okay, no, it's, it's not, Mother's it's Day 2.0. Yep. delivery. That's that's why we that's why we wear white. It's where we wait. So that's why we I wear white on Labor Day. Mind you, you, you're like a dirty <laughs> OBGYN. <laughs> oh come on now, come on now. Oh boy, oh boy. You know we're gonna <laughs> go to a commercial and we're gonna be right back. <laughs> How's it going, guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast available on Apple? Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Tune in now and check it out. (laughs) Up next, he's known for smoking the best weed in the world. And if you find him in West Hollywood, chances are he's telling them how to run cannabis uh, um, uh, tourism and shit like that. That's what I do. Coming to the stage next is the one, the only, the four-time indicted cheerleader. Oh God, here we go. Of the 45th president of the nation, raised over, raised over seven million dollars on that fourth indictment, Rico. And not happy to Labor mention, Day, Jason. And not to mention, Happy Labor Day, Rico. And not to mention, have you seen all these amazing rap videos of the hood just supporting Trump now that he got indicted? Man, oh man, that was great, great you, internet. You know, you know when we weekend. stop calling it the hood, Jason, when y'all start calling it the hood. Oh God, here we go. I, just, I grew up <laughs> these in the hood. Urban stop videos it. you speak of. Stop it. Please, stop Jason. It. Stop please it. send me a link. Oh, bro, I w- don't worry. I'll send them to you after the show. You guys are gonna love them. There's a bunch of them. But I'll tell you what, New York is in the I news again. I did see again. the Latinos for Trump. Yeah. I did see, see? that. See? See? Yep. I'm telling you, bro. They had like the Bentley out there yep. or some shit. They, they look kind of like, big old, big old stacks of money in there. They're like, yeah, I'm voting for Trump. I'm not voting for no Joe Biden. Yep. Because they were like, we want to get I'm that not paper. For either one of them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Anyways. But nonetheless, I, I have a real story. I have a real story for you guys. For Trump, they want the wall, but they want the contract to build the wall. Like, how the how is this all going to work out? I'm not clear. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's going to all work itself out, Yarrow. Don't worry. I have the answers for you. We'll talk about it after the show. But nonetheless, there's a medical marijuana companies. They're slamming Governor Hochul over New York's legal weed rollout mess. 
Oh, oh, man, I think this is one time I can actually get behind the MSOs. Medical marijuana sellers have urged Governor Kathy Hochul to allow them to peddle their product to adult-use consumers after being blocked from the Empire State's law legalizing pot sales. The four medical cannabis operators who were the first New York to be authorized to sell marijuana in the first place, but only for medical purposes, implored Governor Hochul to reverse course and offer them licenses so they can help ramp up the state's slow and rocky rollout and boost sales and tax revenues. The OCM, the Office of Cannabis Management, has ignored the collective wisdom of every other state with an adult-use cannabis program, and most recently Maryland, to permit existing medical operators to stand up the adult-use market. The operators wrote in August 31st letter, letter to the governor obtained by the Post, OCM has abused its authority under New York's adult-use law, played politics with the licensing process, and allowed thousands of unregulated commercial-scale sellers to flood the market with unregulated and unsafe cannabis products. The strongly worded letter continues to say, Today, the state's entire cannabis ecosystem is in dire need of a new direction, they say. And they're not talking about one direction, they're talking about a new direction. But under the law approved by the state legislator, regulators gave the first retail cannabis licenses to convicted pot dealers in a licensing program that is now tied up in the courts after disabled veterans sued, claiming they were being unfairly left out. The letter to Governor Hochul noted a huge number of illicit pot shops that have sprouted up while only 23 licensed dispensaries have opened, thus allowing the illegal operators to cannibalize the market without paying taxes, with some selling tainted weed. In a quote, the state's ineptitude is endangering New Yorkers who wish to consume cannabis safely and legally, while also hurting taxpayers, said the letter signed by Matt Darren, CEO of Cureleaf, Brett Novley, CEO of Pharmacan, and Ben Kovler, CEO of GTI, and Dennis Caron, CEO of Acreage. The medical pot operators claim that immediately issuing them licenses would be more than double the number of adult-use marijuana dispensaries in the state while helping other cannabis sellers, including convicted pot dealers, sustain their own business. The operators pointed out that they have a built-in infrastructure to provide a stable supply chain of safe, tested, and taxed cannabis products over for new stores. In a quote, for years, New Yorkers have trusted to build and grow the Empire State's medical cannabis program, they wrote. Now, a decade later, our plea is simple. Direct the OCM to authorize registered organizations to begin adult-use cultivation and dispensary operations without delay. So the state's legal cannabis market can thrive for all participants, creating a reliable revenue and job generating industry for decades to come. They made that sound really nice in the letter. New York State in 2014 approved the sale of mar medical marijuana prescribed for medical purposes and seven years later legalized adult use sales and state lawmakers and regulators, however, reserved the first batch of cannabis retail licenses to applicants convicted of pot-related offenses saying they wanted to give victims of the war on drugs a chance to compete in the market instead of having the big medical weed firms dominate, which I think they're doing because every bodega has a little card store outside of it selling weed so i think they're actually their goal actually is on point but but other advocates bitterly complained accusing hoshel's administration of discriminating against disabled military veterans and other applicants including medical marijuana operators by prioritizing convicted drug felons 
in awarding them pot sales licenses. Albany State Supreme Court Justice Kevin Bryant last month imposed an injunction blocking the issuance of any more licenses, concluding the state likely broke the law by giving convicted pot felons preference over other social equity applicants, including disabled veterans. Bryant last week also said he wouldn't allow 23 vendors to be exempt from his freeze on adult-use cannabis licenses because the OCM hadn't shown that they met all the requirements to open up shop. Rules approved by the State Cannabis Control Board in May allows 10 medical marijuana stores to sell cannabis to the public, not just ailing patients, but only beginning December 30th. Another 20 of the medical pot stores can start selling sales to the public as of June 30th, 2024, and the medical cannabis operators also would be required to pay a $5 million licensing fee to expand and pay millions more based on revenue earned. Hochul's office said it was reviewing the letter from the medical cannabis operators and New York State is establishing the most equitable adult use cannabis market in the nation that offers consumers high quality New York grown processed and tested products while addressing the wrongs of the past, said Hochul's spokesperson John Lindsay. We all know that's a crock of BS, but nonetheless, Governor Hochul will continue her efforts to expand the empire New York's cannabis market, and the governor's office noted licenses have recently launched cannabis growers showcases akin to farmers markets that were approved by the CCB to help farmers and retailers sell their weed, because we all know it's only getting older. At this time, the, the Hochul administration has stopped up, stepped up enforcement efforts in partnership with state and local enforcement authorities that have resulted in the seizure of significant quantities of illegally sold pot at unlicensed smoke shops, they're saying. But I'll tell you what, it's not even a drip in the bucket. But nonetheless, this is Jason Beck for the High at Nine News Hour. What do y'all think about this New York mess? It's the MSOs, man. MSOs strike back. I can get I can get behind the MSOs on this messaging to tell you the truth. Yeah. I can't believe I'm saying MSO that. Gang. Yep. I love how the New York Post is like like <laughs> making them seem like they're the little guy in this story. They are. <laughs> they are the little guy in this story. Dude, they got they got money. They got long runways. They each got like five year runways. They got all that cash that they're sitting on. Man, let let them wait. Let them wait and and, and let the rest of them figure it out. I mean, but but. All you're doing is just flew in the trap market with with that Rico, which I mean, let, let the trap win. win. Let the trap win. Let the trap. <laughs> what, are you, what are your thoughts on this, Mandy? Guys trying to trap. What's that, Mandy? Corporate guys trapping. Yep, corporate trappers. Corporate trapping. 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 I mean, I don't understand why some of those shops just don't set out a card table like outside the business next door to them and just start selling their weed. What makes you think that they're not? They're selling stickers, that's Jason. Exactly the weed's free. Oh, that's Remember? right. They're selling stickers and the weed's Gifting free. It. That's right. That's right. The weed's free. They're selling t-shirts and coffee mugs Sticker and shit. Mm-hmm. You get a $50 ink pen and an eighth for free. Man, yes. man I hope yes, it's a indeed. ballpoint. I don't know, no, man. It's, it's a like, really good pen, like the kind that writes when it's upside down, refillable yeah. ink cartridge. It's not one of those. It's not one of those pens from the '80s where it had like the naked lady and like it, when you turn it upside down or when you held it up, it, her dress would fall off, and you turn it upside down, her dress would go back on. 
it's yeah, actually I mean, it's actually all naked ladies i'm offended by that pen reference. <laughs> it's actually a little clear tube pen that bob barker used to make and send into the jails it oh, bends and boy. shit it's oh, pretty dope yeah. boy really yeah, bob is a war profiteer bob made some money not in tv but in all the comics r.i.p listen i can't r.i.p he gave a bunch of money to those whales. All the entities he To who? All the PETA people, Yarrow? He gave it to the, what was that whale show where they would go between the whalers and the whales? And they'd be like, don't harpoon the whales. It was a great show. I forget what the name of it was. So Bob would write big checks to them because he was he was definitely profiteering off of the convicts. He's like, ooh, yeah, I made a lot of money on that teeny little toothpaste tube. But you Rice know what? Right. I'm going to pay some money for the whales to be safe. So really, I'm a good dude. I'm a good dude. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, back on point, um, the MSOs are salivating over that, you know, 12 million plus New York market that they that they want to jump into um i'm a super strong supporter i mean let me just go ahead and disclaim this i am biased but i'm a super strong supporter of people convicted of a cannabis offense who have been in prison behind a cannabis offense to be able to have first go to the first line there or have fees waived or have whatever social equity programs social justice programs they have going on there most of them are hollow most of them don't work most of them set people up for failure, but listen, uh, we still got to try to work on it to get it right. Mm-hmm. Hey, Luke, MSO. Luke, if yeah. uh, um, you weren't in for a conversation we had last week on reparations, would you support reparations for trappers? Trapparations, if you would. Trapparations. Um, I think I think reparations, Rico, is like a a, a trigger word, right? I think. Yeah. I, I support the concept that you're saying, right? But I think when you say the word reparations, you immediately shut down the other half of the audience. You know what I'm saying? So what I think what what I think does need to happen though is there does need to have um, a support system, a way for them to benefit, a way for them to be able to. Uh, join back into the legal market if they choose. You know what I mean? Not everybody, just because you were convicted of a cannabis offense doesn't mean that you're going to be a successful uh, retail operator. It doesn't work like that. It's not that simple. You know what I'm saying? But if that is your goal... They they release all of the the nonviolent prisoners and they give them $150,000. Like, yo, like we're sorry. We got all these MSOs and big pharma and big just 150 grand. That's it. That's 150 Um, is not enough. Here's 150. Here's 150k. Going about your business. I mean, listen, there is there is a school of thought that that says basically, uh, cannabis prisoners were wrongfully incarcerated, and there is actually a fee per day for wrongful incarceration. You know, I mean, for especially in states where dudes continue to do sentences while it was legal in their state and all of their conduct was in their state. You know what I'm saying? So there is a a definitely a valid argument for that. You know what I mean? To have people be compensated uh, for being wrongfully imprisoned. Absolutely. And and while I think we all agree that there's a free market, I think the notion that some people would have a head start in this industry is a modest, modest, peace offering it's a modest olive branch right it doesn't make people whole from the experiences that they've gone through it gives them a little bit of a head start and like i remember running a foot race with my dad when i was a kid and like because i was four years old i got a little bit of a head start now my legs never got taller i probably still need a head start for any foot race 
but the idea was I was four and he was 40. And so like I got a little bit of a head start. And so that didn't make it an unfair race. And so so I think this idea that there there could be some some advantages built into policy. You know, I don't even know that reparations is the right word because it really only begins to scratch the surface. And a lot of those advantages in policy haven't played out as intended, right? And so a lot of them have had much more muted results for those constituents. Yarrow, Yarrow. We need to remember that those things, while well intended, haven't necessarily provided as much net benefit as people had hoped. Yarrow, should we should we call it like golf and call it a handicap? So that's a trigger word too, Jason. So first of all. What is it? <laughs> my short stature, I only play mini golf. Okay. If there's not a windmill moving, it like that's called miniature out, golf. I'm probably not your right partner. Uh, yeah, putt, putt. yeah, miniature yeah, golf. But, yeah. But I, I don't think, I think we do, I think language matters. And I do think that we need to, um, without, you know, making everybody who has legacy experience an automatic hero, I do think that, you know, when we talk about veterans, what's the first thing that comes out of everybody's mouth? Thank you for your service, right? Like, it's it just, it's like muscle memory. It's like the only minimum polite thing you can say to somebody who has chosen societal good over personal benefit. And right, so I right, do right. think that there's a world we get to where there is something that comes out of people's mouth around acknowledging the oversized contribution legacy operators have on a regulated market and the risks they took and not necessarily going to well were they were they pure enough were they only about the medical did they overly enrich themselves are they good people like bottom line there's a foundation that was paved on the backs the legal bills the asset forfeiture the gray yep. hair and, and the and, and the, you know the ulcers of the of those people right and so i, I think that there should be some respect paid yes Yes, the, the the I, I absolutely agree with you, Yarrow. The the um the difference in the cannabis market sitting within the free market as a whole, right, is this is cannabis is unique in the sense that because it has a dark history of the enforcement behind cannabis, the um businesses and corporations that become involved in cannabis, I believe have a, and the government entities have a social responsibility. Now, now you have a social responsibility to do what's right because it didn't just grow like a regular industry, like corn or, or tomatoes or, you know, what some other commodity, it actually has a very, very twisted and dark and uh, harmful history. And because of, of, of how it was built, and the outlaw history and the legacy history that you spoke about. Um, I think because of that, now these entities have a social responsibility to make sure the people that paved the road that the rest of the industry drove on in this industry have an opportunity to participate. Yes. This guy. There has to be, there has to be some kind of said it better. come together moment. There has to be a, a point where everybody can meet in the middle, right? Oh, yeah. boy. Yeah, and uh, somebody... Somebody used a phrase, um, getting ahead, and it's in no way, shape, or form getting ahead, in my opinion. It's not even leveling the playing field. It's just one step closer to leveling the playing field. There's there's so many obstacles to hurdle over that right. I would not call it's, it it's a small. Ahead. It's like Yarrow said, it's a small olive branch, it's a small token, and it helps <laughs> everybody else psychologically more than anything else. You, can, you, you know can start what chaps my hide? 
Oh boy. Chapstick. What grinds your gears? What grinds your gears? What chides your hide? Yarrow. What 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 grinds my gears? What chaps my hide? The bee under my bonnet, like et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is this notion that some MSOs that are excited about the New York market are framing this as justice involved versus veterans. Like anytime we're framing this as justice involved versus veterans, we should know that there is somebody who benefits from those groups pecking at each other instead of hugging each other, right? And it's not an either or, right? Like I don't think there's a world in which anybody should have an advantage in the United States above the advantages that we should provide for veterans. But that doesn't mean that justice involved. That doesn't mean communities of color that were disproportionately impacted. That doesn't mean all of those other constituents are less than veterans and that class. It just means there are a variety of classifications that should all have some advantage in this, as Luke said, newly regulated market. But it's kind of messed up to have it be a dance-off between justice involved and veterans when I don't see those two as ever having to compete for the love we have for communities that, to, to Luke's point, you know, paved the road. I think these MSOs yeah. should file a discrimination lawsuit against the state it's of New York. It's not binary. It's not binary. The, the choice isn't binary. It's not uh, justice involved versus uh, veterans. Um, it's, either it's, it's equal. It's the same. You know, they're, yep. they're, it's, it's the same pool. It's, it's all these people who were affected um, by cannabis or people who um, have participated in the community, sacrifice for the community. And those sacrifices look different, right? Those sacrifices of me being in prison for 15 years or uh, Yaro doing two tours in, in Iraq. You know what I'm saying? Those sacrifices yeah. for your community look different and they absolutely should be recognized. Um, I did four I'm, tours I'm a, in the Emerald Triangle, yeah, so and it wasn't Iraq. It's not, it's not either or, it's as well. Going on there. Yeah, I, 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 I'm with you guys on that. Three years I, in South Central LA. I, I'm, a, I'm a drug war veteran. I didn't wear my hat today because it's not Memorial Day or Veterans Day, but uh, I do have my drug war veterans hat. But, oh, we got to keep it moving. We are way past time, man. This hour is flying, flying by, and we have a lot of news to get through. And I know Mandy has a very, very important story that she wants to go over today. So coming up next... She's an Emerald Cup Edibles judge, a mom, and a cannabis executive that wants to show the world how being all three of those can be combined into being the ultimate mom, the ultimate edibles judge, and the ultimate executive lifestyle. It is none other than the Mandy Tingler. Good morning, everybody. Uh, today, my story comes to us from the Telegram Journal. And it's really important. It's something that I've talked about before. It's happening all over the US as different cities come online with their cannabis business operations. And it's the topic of community impact fees. For those of you who aren't really familiar, community impact fees are a fee that a lot of different cities decided to charge their cannabis uh, businesses based upon the fact or the assumption, I should say, not fact, that these businesses would negatively impact the community and therefore cost it money. So here we go. It says, after years of demanding cannabis businesses pay up to pay up to open or, or pay to open up in Massachusetts with municipalities charging community impact fees that reached 3% gross yearly profits in anticipation of problems, the state legislator clarified the laws surrounding host community agreements. 
clarification could see previously signed contracts between municipalities and businesses revisited and the return of those fees. It was a new industry transitioning from illegal to legal in the state, a detail that prompted legislators to write certain safeguards into the laws regulating the cannabis industry in Massachusetts. Now those safeguards, host community agreements and community impact fees, are more of a hindrance than a help. They serve as a barrier to hopeful entrepreneurs seeking entrance into the marketplace and have cost the state's first wave of cannabis business operators millions of dollars that could find a way back into their businesses. Roughly 450 retail marijuana licenses are issued in Massachusetts with retail sales up around $4 billion. The state taxes these businesses at 20%. They are also subject to the standard 6.25% sales tax, excise tax, and, until the revision, the 3% gross annual revenue charged as a community impact fee. The review of the regulations undertaken last year by the state legislator, coupled with a number of reports highlighting inequities in the HCA and CIF system, prompted a, quote, clarification and generated a measure voted into law last November. This September, a public hearing on the proposed regulations is scheduled at the headquarters in Worcester Union Station. The working group at the CCC charged with implementing the clarifications has said that the reviews of the agreements during license renewals would not look at past payments, fee agreements that are no longer in a, or, or fee agreements that are no longer in effect at the time of renewal. It also indicated that municipalities would not be required to refund past payments prior to the change in legislation. However, the question of whether the clarification would be retroactive is still very much open. At its July 13th meeting, the CCC indicated that past HCAs will not necessarily be grandfathered in. It was a brand new industry, said Republican Representative Dan Donahue, a Democrat um, chair of the Joint Committee on Cannabis Policy, explaining the inclusion of the HCAs and the community impact fees into the original legislation. It was an industry coming from illegal to legal in the state. How could we predict the impact of marijuana businesses in the community? The host agreements and the fees were written into the laws as a way to offer a safety value to municipalities, a way for them to alleviate any potential harm the businesses may have caused. Those impact fees were always required to be reasonably related to the harm caused by the businesses. Now the state will enforce that provision. Under the clarification, municipalities are required to account for the use of these fees and the harms mitigated to the businesses and the states when the license comes up for renewal. Fees cannot be folded into the general fund and used for other purposes such as street paving, new sidewalks, and police or fire apparatuses unless they improve, the improvement is directly related to the businesses. Since the beginning, municipalities were authorized to charge up to a 3% a year for business annual gross revenues as the impact fee, yet they've demanded the, three, the full 3% as the base community impact fee. In many communities, the projected revenue funnel funneled about $1 million a year into the municipal coffers. Municipalities have also accepted other perks offered by the entrepreneurs who 
who were ready to promise the moon, sun, and stars to, to in their eagerness to secure a license to operate in, spe in specific communities. One of the really interesting things that's coming out of this, you guys, is the fact that there's a talk about returning these fees to the business operators. Um, it says deep pockets needed by these applicants. An applicant named Fallon noted that the lengthy application process, the cost of securing and holding an appropriate property coupled with the fees charged by municipalities is detrimental to those entrepreneurs she called mom and pop and social equity applicants. They succeed in keeping out the little guy, Fallon said. The HCAs and impact fees served as a barrier to social equity applicants. Municipalities looked at the cannabis industry as a blank check, said Blake Messing, founder and chief counsel of the Messing Group, a Massachusetts firm that specializes in cannabis law, permitting compliance and promoting the industry. But the jig is up, he says. In his estimation, this review of the community impact fee and the host agreement should be retroactive. Failure to review and re revise the impact fees and agreements could lead to a separate form of litigation on the part of cannabis businesses. Adam Fine, a partner at Vicente LLP, a firm specializing in cannabis law, also agrees. This was an exploitation of the law, he says, and to, regarding the full 3% gross revenue annual community impact fee, of the states that have legalized marijuana, Massachusetts is the only one to require the HCA. Inherently unfair, the HCA titled the odds in favor of the applicants with deep pockets. All three attorneys contact indicated that they had advised their clients on occasion not to sign these predatory HCAs, but they needed to get a host community agreement order in place, Fine said. Some cannabis businesses have already filed a suit. Austin city officials indicated last fall that they would stop collecting these impact fees and return $2.86 million to its cannabis businesses. We're already seeing other communities follow suit, Donahue said. Northampton, for example, the mayor said that there was no negative impact to the community. He believes that if a municipality cannot account for the spending of the funds, it will be required to return the money. Donahue had no explanation as to why the commission did or did not have the authority to review or regulate host community agreements and voted in 2018 to remove itself from the process. Because I mentioned that this is happening all over the place. These uh, community agreements and fees are really predatory. They're very dangerous, especially when there's just no rhyme or reason or account accountability to them. Um, do any of you know of any other cities that are calling for reviews like this? Personally, I think if your community has this written into your license, you all should. Curious to see what my fellow correspondents say. This is Carmen Sacramento coming at you live for Hyatt Nine News. What do you think about this, Jason? I mean, I, <clears throat> I think I, I think that uh, I think that cannabis businesses are entitled to some type of rebate. For, for all of these fees because cannabis businesses across the country have proven to be a net positive um, in, in neighborhoods across in, across everywhere. Like even in the most crime-ridden areas, I know that that crime has gone down around different cannabis businesses, except for like distros Absolutely. and grows because people still break in and rob those. But you know what I mean? Dispensaries have think, proven uh, to be a I net positive. Cannabis, yeah, the cannabis businesses, the independent ones at least, have – always led the charge when it comes to community initiatives helping out folks uh, left and right that, that, that don't have the opportunity to help themselves um 
I think the the way that our uh, industry gives back without being prompted to do so uh, should be a model for the rest of mainstream America. I absolutely agree with that. Um, the, most of the cannabis business operators that I've ever worked with have some kind of charitable organization that they donate to or have started or are backing in some way, shape or form. We're a very community oriented entity. Um, and you know, when it comes to these community impact fees, I can't emphasize enough how critical it is to really take a look at that as a business operator because it's incredibly intense um, financially mm-hmm. for your business. And the city of Sacramento, uh, the cannabis business operators about two years ago put together an entire coalition that actually um, filed and required the city to run a review of this community impact fee. And in fact, they found that there was no negative impact by the cannabis business that, that are operated in Sacramento. So um, that fee was canceled. Mm-hmm. We didn't get any refunds. There actually, I think, is a potential talk of pursuing that. But where the money, where the money go, Jason? Mm, you know where that money goes. Special interest funds. There's, I mean, there's, it's, there's, it's, there's, it's not there's the something in this, right? There's what? something in this that, like, I don't want to be like the conspiracy theorist or like the MSO basher or anything like that, right? Because just because you have multi stores or multi states doesn't make you evil. But with that said, in Massachusetts, I believe the majority of licenses there are owned by very, very large companies. So you have to follow the money on this. Like who stands the most to get the most money back if this is retroactively given back 3% gross, gross receipts over the past however long it's been going on. Like gross is like massive. My single store that we had, if you were to get gross receipts of us doing anywhere near like a million dollars a month, like you're talking about a significant amount of money, right? And that's a one single store. I think she said that, uh, Mandy said that they had 450. So be, be skeptical about this now. The lawyer said, like, what was, you know, we're, we're doing this because of the social equity people and the people that can't afford it. Well, I got a simple solution for that. Waive the fee. Waive the fee for the social equity applicants. Waive the fee for the people that qualify for it. And the large multi, multi-million dollar companies that can afford it, they could still pay it. Let them pay now, my second share. question is this. Where is this money going? I, I, I know, Mandy, you touched on that. It didn't. It couldn't go to police, and it couldn't go to fire department stuff. Um, if it's not going back into the community and the social equity programs to help fund that thing, I think that's what it should do. It should just circle right back into the social equity programs or the or the assistance programs, and then those larger companies will be doing their social responsibilities. Period. I mean, I think that that's a. It's a good idea. And at the same time, in a climate where businesses are tremendously struggling, I mean, people look at the cannabis industry and just because you tag on the word cannabis business to the type of service mm-hmm. that we require, they that have part. The cannabis tax. I mean, mm-hmm. we've had plumbers that I call and I, just, I don't tell them what I need help with, but I just say, hey, we have this issue at my office. Can you come by here? And then I tell the next guy I get a quote from, oh, yeah, we're a cannabis business. It's more expensive. Right out of the gate. That's true. So people think that we just have more money and that we just have this like bottomless pit of cash mm-hmm. flow that keeps coming out. The cities thought that too. 
when they brought us in, when they allowed us to operate like regular businesses. So, you know, so here, here's how the municipalities need to be accountable for where the money is going. It is intended to help uh, offset the alleged expenses that these businesses um, were thought to create. They were thought that um, we would require more law enforcement presence, or perhaps our businesses would um, be doing extraction or um, dangerous, you know, volatile extraction that could require more fire um, responsiveness or things of that nature. Uh, and they're finding out that they just aren't. So here's here's how I kind of look at I look at it through two lenses. On the one hand, we say the cannabis industry needs to be treated like a regular industry. Let's destigmatize it. Well, if I was a real estate developer and I went down to get a permit. Every single time they're like, oh, aren't you donating a quarter acre as a community park with your project? And you're like, oh, oh yeah, of course wait. I am. So, so this notion of pay to play is not specific to cannabis. But back to the gross versus net thing. 3% of gross in a nascent industry as the industry matures and margins decline, 3% of gross is a big freaking number. And it penalizes people that want to have a higher gross, lower net business model. And so I think that that is the opposite of the free market. And we're not allowing people to have a business model that allows them to pay on net. And I think that that's really dangerous because you're, 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 in, you're interfering with a truer form of capitalism and that 3% in perpetuity, like, how do you, how do you model around that? Because as your margins go down, there's a world in which on some products in the future, as this becomes more of a you know, a typical CPG industry, that 3% is all you got. That was your margin. Now you got nada. Now you're in business just to be in business to feed everybody else and keep everybody else's lights on. So I'm just yes. not in favor of gross taxes at all. Hey, Jason, you want to keep it rolling? We're, I, uh, yeah, we're, just we keep it. Like yeah, we're, behind. We're, we're, we're so, so, so behind. We're so behind. <laughs> Where's Gretchen when you need her? Uh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're gonna keep this. We're gonna yeah. keep this going. Uh, you, let me go with uh, the, just, the just, next intro. Yeah, just rolling. Yep. All right. Y'all know who it is. Up next, he's a second generation cultivator and the founder of Special Teams Consulting. Up next, it's the Sebastopol stage himself, Yaro Cooper. Man, I am never going to be able to live up to an introduction as 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 passionate as that. But good morning, good morning, good morning. Super stoked to be on here with this uh, esteemed group of panelists. And here's my article for High at Nine News on this beautiful Monday, September 4th. California Cannabis Repeal, a Humboldt County Study. It's no secret that the cannabis industry is on a steep decline in a variety of states, including California. We have time and again written about the specific woes plaguing the California cannabis industry. High taxes, a staggering credit crunch and collection problems, receiverships, rampant local prohibition, overregulation by the state, and a raging illegal market are just a few. Now cue the California cannabis voters who may have initially supported this democratic experiment, but are now thinking twice about local laws and rules permitting commercial cannabis activity in their borders. Cannabis repeal may be on the horizon. Cannabis NIMBYs, a term not in my backyard, neighborhood NIMBY has obvious negative connotations. Of course, cannabis NIMBYs are not unique in California. They're everywhere in cannabis. Years ago, we wrote a post about how to deal with them and their tactics. 
Essentially, memories thrive on confrontation and manufacturing lots of arguments to eliminate or stop progress when it comes to cannabis business development. They'll even go so far as to form plaintiff groups to sue local governments and cannabis businesses go on any possible grounds, including and usually alleging environmental issues or violations of due process rights in the creation of cannabis laws. In turn, cannabis businesses are wise to be transparent as possible with all their neighbors as well as their local governments and to keep constant contact with regulators in order to avoid inadvertently inadvertent regulatory violations. But what happens when you make it past the initial NIMBYs only to find yourself at their mercy years after you've already set up shop? California Cannabis Repeal. Blah, blah, blah. When I practice there, thank you for making the article about you, editing out the narcissism, Humboldt County. I read this article by Lester Black of SFGate. The Emerald Triangle in California is universally known for its cannabis quality and generational cannabis farmers. And that especially includes Humboldt County. It was one of the first local governments to regulate cannabis farmers in the state post-legalization back in 2018. Now, its entire local industry is going to face a potential death knell proposed by a March 2024 vote on a new initiative that heavily restricts the existing industry while essentially eliminating any more farms from setting up. Here's a copy of the initiative. According to the initiative website, the proposed amendment would, quote, reduce the cannabis cultivation footprint, promote healthy environments and rural communities, ensure public involvement, and protect truly small-scale, environmentally-minded cannabis farmers. Backers of the initiative state on their website that due to the county's initial planning and current laws, quote, there are now over a thousand legally permitted operations, most of which are in stark contrast to small-scale organic hippie farming of previous decades. The newly emerging cannabis culture represents a more industrialized mega-grow approach with heated and ventilated grow lights, 24-7 grow houses, extensive use of water, and loud generators. Further, per the initiative's website, quote, incursions of mega grows into rural residential, agricultural, and wooded woodland areas has been received with considerable anger and bitterness by the rural public. One reason for this is that the county's ordinance 2.0 precluded the most effective rural residents from being notified that a mega grow would be setting up next door to them. Such disregard has been taken to be demeaning and disrespectful, leaving residents little, if any, recourse to complain or to go through the pain and expense and of difficult litigation. And residents cite issues of health, safety, welfare, dangerous traffic, harassment by growers, and harm to the environment and natural beauty. A particular concern has been diversion of stream and well water that takes critical water from the residents and ranchers, as well as from watersheds and ecosystems where water deprivation impacts animal and plant habitats. Strong objections have been made about the constant night lights and generator noise that disrupts residents' lives and that impacts wildlife, including the northern spotted owl. The proposed 38-page initiative called the Humboldt Cannabis Reform Initiative represents a massive overhaul to existing cannabis, uh, to Humboldt County cannabis laws. Perhaps most importantly, this initiative would limit cannabis farms to no more than 10,000 feet, which would make about 400 currently permitted farms non-conforming uses under the initiative, and the number of permits issued would be capped at no more than 1,200, valid for only one year before renewal. Further, a business could not have multiple cultivation permits on a single parcel. That's called stacking. No generators would be allowed except for one for emergency use only, and all neighbors of a cultivation site would have to be notified beforehand that a grow was coming in. Lastly, for existing growers to come into compliance with the proposed initiative, they'd have to enact a laundry list of expensive changes or be rendered non-conforming and eventually shut down. The county's reaction to de facto cannabis repeal. The county planning department's analysis of the initiative is incredibly interesting. 
Early in its analysis, the planning department writes, quote, the initiative purports to protect the county's residents and natural resources from harm caused by large-scale cannabis cultivation. It does this by developing a regulatory system that renders most existing permitted farms non-conforming. The analysis goes on to state the largest farms in Humboldt County range between seven and eight acres. There are four farms this size. For comparison, in Lake County, there are farms in excess of 60 acres, six zero. And in Santa Barbara and San Bernardino counties, there are farms in excess of 100 acres. In a statewide market context, Humboldt County does not have large-scale farms. Essentially, the county is claiming that there is no real mega farms in Humboldt County at this point in time and that the public does not understand what the initiative would do and sign the petition thinking that large-scale cannabis farms should not be in Humboldt County without recognizing that most of the so-called large-scale farms that would be outlawed if this outlawed if this initiative passed are the very farms that have existed in county in Humboldt County for decades. It seems that the planning department does not support the passage of the initiative, and that's what it relayed to the County Board of Supervisors. What's next in Humboldt? Undoubtedly, between now and March, both proponents and opponents of this initiative will undertake education campaigns for and to the public. The very big legal takeaway, though, is that Humboldt will not be in the will not be the last stand or instance where local voters initially embraced cannabis legalization, only to change their minds down the road. We could see major overhauls or total elimination of local cannabis industries in California as a result. Perhaps, most importantly, if the Humboldt Cannabis Reform Initiative passes in March, other motivated, well-capitalized, angry, and annoyed local voters could use this process as a blueprint for their own cannabis repeal campaigns. That's a long article. Like, I needed to breathe before, during, and after. So let me just kick this off. Uh, Very uh, well-known and prominent attorney wrote this, and... Um, as we know, Mendocino County below has capped outdoor at 10,000 square feet. 10,000 square feet, y'all, is a quarter acre, okay? A small family farm can barely eat on that these days with the price of sun-grown outdoor trending at, mm, well, let's just say the trimmer gets more than the grower. Um, I think this is uh, an interesting thing. Every time I hear the word mega grows, all I can think of is Johnny Depp talking about a mega pint, right? Like, what is a mega grow, right? And so... I, I don't know how we define that, but I think there are some numbers we can put around that. And I think that in the context of what's happening in other counties, Humboldt was a a brighter light in the Emerald Triangle in terms of what people could do to produce some scale of cannabis compared with Mendocino, which has really been the epicenter of the dumpster fire, in my opinion, not just in terms of the number of permits they've processed, but in terms of not stacking permits on uh, on the same property and, and, and limiting that quarter acre 10K to sort of the most that somebody could do on a particular parcel. Um, I, I think the water issues are always sort of like the, the, the whistle, you know, the, the, the chumming of the waters that they use. They're talking about illegal diversion, but the truth is regulated farms, I don't know how many of those actually illegally divert because they typically have fishing game and the water control board totally up their sphincter looking at everything. And we've already determined from Sonoma County that while cannabis uses a lot more per acre than other agricultural activities, the value it creates is exponentially greater. And so on a per drop of water basis, you actually get more wealth creation out of growing cannabis than you do out of grapes or cattle. So uh, what do you guys think about this? I think that, um, you know, it's a travesty. Like all of this, um, would you, 
would you be in supporting would you be in support of a repeal of um of the cannabis laws on a state level or on a uh on a municipal level um, um as we know them yarrow should we start i mean i'm a big one for the I, I i mean look i like the will of the voter yeah i like the will of the voter and I think that policy is always ripe for revision and adjustment based on what we've actually seen versus how it was initially written up. I do mm -hmm. think that when you have people who have literally bet the family farm or taken friends and family money and invested in licensed locations Probably under the notion work, right? that those locations would be viable business locations for years to come, that anytime we move the goalpost on people, it reminds me of that Charlie Brown uh, uh, cartoon yeah. where you know they go to kick the football and then that person moves the football away, right? And so when Sonoma County moved their ten acre minimum part, well, they they moved a five acre minimum parcel to ten acre minimum parcel. There were real farmers that had spent real money buying real pieces of property and developing those based on the county guidelines. And so I think anytime a county is considering changing their guidelines and making them more restrictive. They need to think about not just the long-term economic impact of the policy that they're proposing, but also the wreckage they will create with people who have tried to be good citizens, good participants, good regulated operators by setting up and operating with whatever those existing regulatory paradigms are. And so I'm really right. worried that the Emerald Triangle has created a ghost town effect up there through some of its unintended policies around how to have regulated cannabis and that you know, look, every I can't even say the word yeah. mega farms without thinking about Johnny Depp. But every time we talk about mega farms, uh, I'm more concerned about hazardous overspray, water contamination, or mm -hmm. ways in which there's an oversized impact relative to the region. And I think when they talk in this article about ranchers, like, I don't know why ranchers are a protected category, but cannabis operators aren't. Right. Oh man, it's it's, it's gonna get, continue to get worse, man. So unfortunately, as we've seen, it's gonna continue to get worse. And you know what? You just follow the money. You can see where the problems uh, began. You can see where they're gonna end too. I'm gonna drop it. I'm uh, gonna go ahead and drop a Mike Tyson quote here. Everybody has a plan it. until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I mean, separate from quoting our favorite convicted rapist on the show it, hey. I do whoa 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 i'm sorry was that a fact we weren't supposed to include never mind wow anyway um separate oh. from that you know <laughs> i don't wow i wish the, i wish the triangle had come up with some reasonable policy and executed on it and i wish that we could remember that saving the small craft cottage cultivator doesn't necessarily mean limiting them to a quarter acre of production, right? And so as prices have gone down and production has gone up and scale has been something that people need to embrace in whatever way their business model allows them, you know, the cottage craft cultivator is like this. It's like, it's like the unicorn that we like pray to, but I know a lot of people up there who'd love to be able to go from a quarter acre to a half acre or from a quarter acre to an acre in Mendocino. And I'm, Thoroughly concerned that Humboldt, in its uh, in its willingness to reconsider its local policy, um, uh, is potentially putting another nail in the coffin for the Emerald Triangle. And then to your point about like, what do the voters think? Would I be open to another vote? Like this is a local vote, but 64 was a state vote, and so I'm worried about local votes 
that supersede or override or create more restrictive policy than what the initial state vote was supposed to afford the industry and the you know patients and customers. Oh yeah. I think good like conversations good, good Labor Day conversation, right, man. Rico? I mean, What's it that? wasn't right. It wasn't perfect, but I think we shouldn't talk about repeal. We should talk about revise, amend. Um, I don't think I think the will of the people spoke and we should listen to it. But at the same time, it's like playing in a football game, right? Like you have yep. to make in-game changes. You have to be fluid with when when Just things start to happen. So I call it a pivot to do that. I call it the quick. You got to be quick on the pivot in cannabis. You got to keep your head on a swivel, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and 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 I think I think Humboldt County should be allowed to have these so-called mega grows. Like they're, you know what I mean. If if people have the land and let let them let them grow on their land, I mean it's only going to make the price of weed drop even further. But at the same time, if people want to grow it, let them grow it. What's the what's the big deal? When and if we finally get appellations worked out, a full five, six, seven, twenty years after sixty-four passed. And when the market can assign a value to where something was produced, whether that was Covalo or Compshi, when people can allow the consumer to pay potentially even just a little bit more for stuff that is produced <coughs> in regions that have a history, we'll be able to see the Emerald Triangle hopefully reclaim its glory. And that is, that is I think, the things that will help that is labels that say where something is produced, the ability to ship things out of state and regulatory policy that understands that Humboldt isn't in competition with Mendocino. It's in competition with Santa Barbara and San Luis Obispo and scale is upon us whether Mm -hmm. we like it or not. And the craft cottage cultivator, again, is this, this unicorn that, you know, uh, this notion that a family is going to be able to live on a quarter acre outdoor is just, that's just not where the market's at. And it's not sustainable. Partners, we have to give them opportunity, in my opinion, to reasonably scale mm-hmm. or maintain a scale. Interstate commerce. Yep. Interstate that part commerce. too. That part too. So interstate commerce is the only thing that's going to save the uh the industry. The only thing that's going to save the Emerald Triangle. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Well coming up yeah. next. Coming up next, it's a Labor Day special. That's right. We got Mr. Luke Scarmazzo joining us today on a Monday. That's right. Oh, yeah. He did some time for a cannabis crime, and now he's here to tell his tale. That's right. It is none other than the Mr. Luke Scarmazzo. Yes, yes. Good morning, everybody. Happy Labor Day. What's that? Or as your brother calls it, Scarmazzo, right? Or as my brother calls it, Scarmazzo. <laughs> He's going to get a kick out of that, actually. Yeah, happy Monday, everybody. Happy Labor Day. Um, out in, you know, I'm always going against the grain. I'm just that type of guy. You know what I mean? I guess I always have been. So, of course, I'm going to go with some international news on a U.S. holiday. Uh, forgive me for my patriotic friends. And we're, o- we're not only going to go international, but we're going to go to the much-hated... CNN and Fox News nemesis, China. So coming at to you out of the South China Post, we have this really interesting article. And it really talks about, or, or is indicative of like the old drug war terminology. And you'll get it when, 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 I, when I read through it and, and some of the 
examples and scare tactics that are used. I just thought it was an awesome relic of the past, but it was published today. So here we go. Japan cracks down on legal cannabis after users suffer serious side effects. Now this article also goes on to talk about THCA, which is a little bit of foreshadowing, uh, I think. So we, uh, I'll let you be the, the deciding factor on that. Young people who took the products exhibited symptoms, including convulsions and disoriented consciousness, Japan Health Ministry said. It said testing, including on animals, had shown that, quote, THC analog to be equally or more dangerous than the psychoactive THC. Japan's government is planning to bolster its response to technical legal drugs amid the spat of recent cases where young people are having experienced serious adverse effects from substances, including a particularly altered form of cannabis, health ministry officials said. Some of the products have been confirmed to be more harmful than cannabis itself, according to the Ministry of Health, Labor, and Welfare. With concerns of, of more cases emerging, the ministry said Sunday that it's investigating sellers and has added the substance to its list of illegal, quote, dangerous drugs. The legal ministry also said that the government plans to hold meetings later this month to formalize a response over the drug, often sold online and in stores labeled as legal cannabis. The ministry said that between March and June of this year, nine people who took the products exhibited symptoms including disoriented consciousness and the convulsions, with eight of them requiring hospitalization. In July, the ministry did a spot-on inspections of three stores in the prefectures of, now forgive me on the, these words, Kanagwana, Osaka, and Tukushima and ordered them to cease sales of the technically legal drugs. Japanese law limits the presence of THC, a psychoactive compound naturally occurring in cannabis leaves and flowers. However, the harmful substance detected in the drugs was modified form of THC with alterations in its chemical structure that exempt it from legal controls. The ministry is referring to the substance as a THC analog and says testing, including on animals, has shown it to be equally or more dangerous than THC. In July, the ministry added two drugs it had identified as detrimental to health to its list of dangerous substances in accordance with the pharmaceutical and medical device laws. This classification categorizes them as dangerous drugs, making their sale or possession illegal except for medical purposes. Dangerous drugs were formerly known as loopholes drugs, which came to be seen as a major societal issue in 2013. In 2014, a man under the influence of such drugs drove his car into pedestrians in Tokyo, killing a woman. The ministry went on to strengthen its crackdown on drugs, and it emerged in 2015 with no stores were selling the drugs anymore. So, uh, listen, Japan drug war going strong uh taking thca and it makes you have uh altered consciousness listen i mean that sounds really dangerous and crazy uh went to become illegal uh don't take thca apparently it'll make you drive over pedestrians kill people um all kinds of other crazy craziness going on over there I'm going to go ahead and kick it to my correspondence for this lovely piece of news.
That lovely I piece of how, propaganda. Uh, is, I love how Reefer Madness has evolved over the years. I would like to see like their depictions. You know how like back in the day, the Reefer Madness shit just had like all black and and, and Mexican men just like grabbing on all the white women and all that shit. I'd like to see what it looks like over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the propaganda stuff. Who who is starring in these propaganda films <laughs> they're creating? I think they imagine the Japanese version of anti marijuana like commercials and what those must look like. I, I they're all in anime. Again. They're all yeah, in anime. Say, they're probably all in anime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guarantee black blacks and Mexicans once again. I don't know if you I don't know if y'all saw that uh um that that one Japanese commercial that was banned <laughs> from like most English speaking uh places where they had uh it was like a uh um laundry detergent. And, uh, and, the, and the black dude was going in there. He's gonna hook up with the with the uh, with the Asian girl, and he jumps in to the washing machine, comes out, and he's white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now it's acceptable. Oh boy! <laughs> this is just a couple of years ago. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna say that that culture deserves to be uh, railed against, or that there are not amazing things that Japan has offered on the world stage, from food Japan. to culture to sushi. But I will say there are very few countries that are still killing whales and uh, much less for research purposes. So maybe there is some room for improvement in a variety of policies over there. The idea on the THCA, as we've seen in the chat and as most of us already know, THCA, unless it's heated, is non-psychotropic anyway. So that doesn't make any sense. And then we over here in California, where apparently science is still slow moving, we haven't been able to figure out what... Uh, intoxicated driving looks like versus just ingestation. There's no such thing as intoxicated people. driving. Apparently in Japan, they figured out somebody was high, drove through a bunch of people because they were high on cannabis. Yeah. There's no That's such thing as intoxicated driving. Happened. You know that, Yaro. It's not real. That the globe needs more education on how this plant works. I mean, I'll yes. tell you what, though. I mean, I mean, the, the Japanese market is amazing. I mean, people get incredible prices out there, so they should keep this propaganda oh, yeah. up because the market is booming no, out but there. The prices are a byproduct of the pain, right? Like they had it where you could only get CBD if it was off the stocks of the plant. That's not that's like, not what I'm saying. No, I'm talking about the trap market, Yaro. Off the branch, Yaro. The fruit, Yaro. I'm talking about the trap market. Them, them, they get crazy, crazy high numbers for for weed in Japan. Japan is crazy. Yeah, they get high, high dollar out there. Yeah, and you'll also get like cane to death. You will, you will get that too. You will get that too. But you know what? You're gonna get like a high ticket out there in Japan. Jason's like YOLO. (laughs) (laughs) My goal would be to smuggle all of it into Japan in the belly of a blue whale and just like pull up with a blue whale and they harpoon that shit and go research purposes and then they bring all my trapping into the the country and then i just kind of get it out of the belly of the blue whale and it's a two for maybe that's why they're killing all the whales yarrow they're already doing that i like what dr delta said i think when uh when the monsters are coming for you it's going to be godzilla godzilla get godzilla high and then he's going to start like killing pedestrians and shit like that right weedzilla we God, get Godzilla yeah. high. He won't even come out of the ocean. He'll just Mecha be doing a backstroke yeah, out there. Me- Mecha Godzilla <laughs> gonna come out there <laughs> and stomp oh, out really regular though, Godzilla Japan, because Japan regular Godzilla the forgot to unionize. No, no, let's not start unionizing the Godzillas because that's a slippery slope. Once all them big fucking creatures and monsters are unionized, we'll never be able to kill them with a helicopter. I'm right? really glad I to hear you speak out against unionization, Euro. 
Only when it comes to Godzilla <laughs> and maybe union, the police union officers who have a lack of accountability as a result oh, of some of that unionization. They didn't even want body cams turned on. So, yes, there are some unions that have gone a, a, a awry or astray. How about the SEIU? So I'm going to sidestep that and merely say that in Japan, <laughs> too bad that they have a culture of wellness and massive longevity in their senior population and that people are still not able to access things that are non-psychotropic like CBD in a low cost and affordable way. So I'm hoping I'm rooting for Japan. I think they have a lot of room for improvement. And I'm really, really like big props to Luke for going with fresh off the press article from today. Good luck yes. finding a link for a holiday from today. But I guess, you know, Japan doesn't celebrate this holiday. And then keeping it international. I like that very much. So so what what, what should we be more uh, afraid of? Body counts or body cams? Body counts. Body counts. Body counts for sure. And on that note... <sighs> Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Just, I, I, I just, I just have to read this one headline since we're on this international thing. Let's All go. right, All right, I'm just going to read Let's the go, headline Jamie. for you guys, and I just find this hysterically funny. Okay, but you know, we, we, we love, we love Spain, right? Right, Mandy. We all love Spanibus yes. and Spain and everything. Spania. Well. In Spain, and you'll be able to read this full story on our website. So go check it out. It's a long story, but they're saying that there's daily blackouts or are straining a poor Spanish neighborhood, and they're trying to blame marijuana for the fact of these grows taking all the power that is stifling this town and having rolling blackouts. So make sure you go and check that out over at High at Nine News. Thousand watt lights. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know that's all total propaganda BS. These people just have of bad. Of course, of course, they're, they're blaming blackouts instead of brownouts mm -hmm. instead of this, whiteouts. They just have poor infrastructure out there. They need to, you know what I'm saying? They need to get some grant money up. <laughs> but I kind of love it. And thank you all for joining us for yet another episode of Hide Nine News, a special Labor Day edition where we're going overtime for you guys, so you guys can stay home and hate unions because. This is the American way. <laughs> you catch us live on weekdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, high noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to our super fans showing love, getting their comments live on the big screen too. The live audience members and online supporters catching us across all media platforms each day. To our vetted correspondents tuning in from all over, bringing us much needed variety of perspective and your respected opinions to the table. To our production team, cloud media partners, House of Fuego, all our sponsors, keeping the lights on, AV struggles to a minimum, and of course, the lovely Jaja Simone holding things all the way down on the other platforms too and as always cannabis sativa l the reason that we show up to read these stories every damn day y'all know we love you with all of our heart and soul it's been monday labor day september 4th 2023 the show is over you've all been blessed with the top industry headlines hope was enough in your to put in your pipe and smoke it at least until tomorrow i'm rico lamit the dopest dad on the street for high at nine news mandy tingler you take us out carmen sacramento please Hi. It's a holiday. Hopefully you're not working. If you're at home, hug your family, go hug your friends, go do something fun and exciting today because tomorrow you got to do double the work. <laughs> Tomorrow's the real Labor Day. <laughs>